0: Welcome everybody to the Fine flow podcast. I'm your host, Sean McDermott. This episode, we want to talk a little bit more about the dev side of DevOps and test, right. um, automated builds, test and release. So, um, I know you have a lot of thoughts on this, so why don't we just jump, dive right in?
1: Yeah, a lot is maybe relative, but I have some thoughts. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, last week we talked about observability. We talked about monitor how observability feeds monitoring. So I think I said, uh, you know DevOps really started with a problem right and the problem was how do we release software how do we release even infrastructure reliably and how does it not break as soon as we release it because we didn't do enough testing and so how do we solve the operational ownership problem and kind of preventing a lot of these issues Um, and that was one of the problem statements and we talked a lot about that and how observability data needs to be created kind of and owned by DevOps so that it can be driven into the operation the second part of that problem which really came about as as companies advanced and the business sort of drove really digital transformation and faster releases is is to go faster so it's how does devops help us go faster and i think you know if you look at where that where how to go faster you look at bottlenecks where do we where do we need to eliminate some bottlenecks or where's the long pole in the tent um and you know operation obviously. One of those polls could be you release it and it breaks and you got to bring it back into the garage, right? You got to bring it back into the development shop. Um, and that's the worst kind of all because now you've exposed it to customers. And so I think there's a lot of effort is went into QA and testing. And I think that's where the long poll ended up being was developers were releasing and then it just went through testing cycles, through QA cycles. And that's really where that long poll the, and really became and so then it becomes well how do we start automating these tests and then it became we want to why should we have to manually run these tests and then we should build and build and test all in the same framework and so like open source tools or like jenkins and others are out there to do that and to build those tests and so where i think that's sort of where ai ops comes into the picture right is you need to be able to introduce machine learning you got to be able to introduce um, learning from the data, learning from the results of the test, learning from the behavior of the application to drive what are the tests that need to be done instead of it being very much a manual creation of tests that coders might create or that the DevOps team might create. Um, but machine learning should be able to start generating and driving some of those tests and, and using the results for feedback loops to make sure that you know maybe they're not testing everything every release, but you know what needs to be tested most. Um, and I think some of the authors we, we t- brought a couple articles in talks about, you know, that data that's used in machine learning isn't just data that you get in your test and your QA and your development, your test, your QA, your staging environments. It's also the data that comes in from operational environments or your production environments as well. And so that's really the, the big kind of takeaway is, you know, how do we go faster and then how does machine learning, how does the AI ops play and helping that go faster um, so I don't know if do you have any thoughts on that Sean on you
0: know where um, where that fit is you know me, I, always have th- I, I always have thoughts on something um, they may not be good but I always have thoughts on something um, I, yeah I, I think we're you know obviously what's going on right now in you know AI AI ops as related to DevOps is heavily focused on the observability side like we talked about last week um, the opportunity, I think, on the, on the build and release, test and release side is just as you said, right? How do we, um, are there ways for us to take data? So from an available, I guess there's two, to me, there's two types of observability data too. One is, you know, really performance data, right? Are we having outages? Are we having issues, degradation mm-hmm. of service? And how do we bring those back into the build, the, the part of the build, the chain where you're, you're building and enhancing and continuing and improving? But there's also, I, I think, the ability to bring in information r- related around usage of these applications. How are they being used? When are they being used? When are you looking at uh, different loads and time time of use and geography of use and things like that? And that starts becoming even more interesting when you get into like DevSecOps, right, where you start yeah. looking at um, geographical type uh, information for improvement of security and things like that. The so right now, I, I I really see when I think about DevOps or DevSecOps using AI. It's to me, it's more kind of potential, right? Of mm-hmm. where it could go. You know, of of my companies. You know, we we develop software and several several. We have a SaaS platform in one of the companies, and we do a lot of automated testing. And for every for, for pretty much every module code we write, we write a whole bunch of tests, right? And those tests go into the, the DevOps chain and they're used for testing the software and, and overnight automated testing. But it is a very manually intensive process. So I think as people start thinking about using um, AI to, as you said, start generating, auto-generating text, testing, I think that could be very, very interesting mm-hmm. to really expand because if you don't write a test then you're just not going to test anything and that's part of the problem i mean there's kind of two parts of of there's always two things around developers uh, that you're always a challenge you know documenting code and testing code and mm-hmm. so using ai to to do both actually would be great you know the ability to kind of um, use ai as you're writing code to create ma- you know natural language processing to create documentation of the code and on an auto comment code and things like that, as you're writing, it would be very, uh, there's a lot of potential there. And then the idea of being able to, to use AI to continually improve your testing automatically and do some predictive analysis of, of testing and where you might be able to branch off to do a deeper level test automatically would be, you know, a huge value. So, um, yeah, I, I think right now, you know, the DevOps tool chain is really, really more heavily weighted towards, you know, the observability side of this. Um, yeah, I,
1: I know one of the, um, you know, in talking as far as releases go, I know chaos monkey is something that's out there. I, I don't, I'm not an expert on it, don't know a whole lot, but it's, I think that's sort of the predecessor maybe to the machine learning or AI ops and the testing and that we're going to introduce chaos and look for anything and everything that could go wrong. And we're going to test that as we release software and, and apply, you know, those kind of use cases or scale cases. Um, I think machine learning is probably being introduced into that, being introduced as a, as a next step or maybe even part of that to, to be more intelligent, I guess, about where that how you're doing that chaos testing that actually that's being informed by um, you've learned behavior of the application. Um, so I think yeah, I think I... that all go ahead, Sean.
0: I know i think i think when it comes to ai right we need to kind of think about this in two different ways right and especially in ai ops we need to think about it in the context of um processing lots and lots of data right mm-hmm. and then we need to also look at it in the context of predictability of um of certain things happening in the future so, and, and th- so a lot of that is done through processing lots and lots of data and looking at behavioral type things, but I don't, I don't, I don't know if you've seen this, um, there's a documentary on, um, the AI platform that IBM wrote for, or I'm sorry, it wasn't IBM, I think it was Google, uh, wrote for, um, Go, the, the game of Go, okay. and it's, it's fascinating if you get a chance to look at it, uh. And essentially they picked Go because Go is actually the most complex game in the world, more complex than chess. And um, very interesting things as they went through this kind of journey of of coding and and letting the, the, the machine learn Go and learn things. Um, it started, you know, it, it took on these grandmasters and eventually it took on, like, I think, well, the number one guy in the world in Go. I had actually never even heard of Go before this. And the... The the really interesting thing, and you can actually see the game while they're while you know they film the game, the 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 um, the AI platform essentially made a move that was completely unprecedented. Like, and I don't know anything about Go, but literally the whole room just like was aghast. Like everyone was like, "What the?" And even the player that is playing was like, "That was such an unconventional move." he was confused, he was like, what's going on? Did it just make a massive mistake, right? Mm-hmm. And it seemed in the world of all the humans, like the, the machine just made a mistake. And even the programmers are like, we don't really understand why the machine did that. And it turned out that 40, 50, however moves down the road, the machine won based on that really that unconventional is. thing. So the human couldn't even comprehend it. We can only think so far ahead. Yeah. So I think that that's, where AI is going to get really interesting in the um, the front end of the DevOps chain mm-hmm. is to start using data from observability and things like that to start looking at patterns and looking at things to test that we haven't even thought of because there are too many steps down the code chain, uh, and that yeah. that's pretty exciting stuff, you know. Uh, but it also you yeah, know and i think that you could also th- start start thinking about you know terminator right <laughs> at that point uh, right. where it starts to self thinking right because it's actually now sp- it actually of- could, it, it could get to the point where it starts writing code right where it's actually yeah. why you know it, right. it i mean there are there definitely are things going on right now where ai is actually writing code you know mm-hmm. but um, being able to consistently write code of complex applications um, is, is a really interesting thing to be, to be looking at. Right.
1: Yeah. So the, a, the AI ops people don't like the AI op, they, the machines that have to operate AI's code is probably not happy. You know, they're, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Just saying, instead of you got AI writing machine, now you got AI operating it. And I'm sure they're having the same fights that, that the humans were going to have.
0: Yeah. Well, um, you're seeing, I, you're seeing, you're seeing it being AI being applied to a lot of things. So there's a, there's a, there's a site out there called, um, jarvis.ai right Mm -hmm. and basically they're using ai to write marketing copy and it's actually Mm -hmm. very interesting they they have i don't know where they're getting their source data but they must be just scanning the internet for all kinds of data but there's different templates that you can pick and when you pick a temp template it will actually write the content for you and i've used it you know uh and i I actually i used it a couple days ago and i put in a couple prompts in there you know three or four sentences of prompts and it kicked out you know Mm-hmm. almost 300 words of copy. And I have to say it was pretty good, right? Yeah. So the ability for us to basically say, Hey, look, we want to start optimizing our code and especially a codes that are, are creating very, um, you know, right now they're, they're learning and they're, they're creating algorithms and modifying algorithms, I mean, what's to stop at some point, you know, AI from actually creating code from scratch. Right, yeah. and building exactly. the automated testing routines from scratch and yep. releasing that code automatically. I mean, I think we're a ways away from that, but it's completely conceivable to me.
1: Yep, exactly. So that, I guess, as far as uh, segue to the first article we kind of brought up, I think we had two articles today to drill into this concept or at least bring in mm-hmm. some other perspectives. Um, the first one was written by uh, Andreas Grabner, who's a DevOps Person at Dynatrace, you know, he's, I think he's a, more of an activist um, DevOps at Dynatrace, and, and I know I know Dynatrace is working with an open source project called Kepton, K E P T N, um, and using that as somewhat of some proof of concepts part of their product, integrating with it and really showing value as to how their monitoring and observability data and their AI ops capabilities can be brought into the into the release framework that, that kept uh, kept and allows. Um, and so he, he wrote about in this article that, um, AI ops done right delivery automation for DevOps and SREs, you know, two different ways DevOps can be, apl- or AI ops can be applied. And it really is that taking data that's in your production environment where AI ops is traditionally monitoring production and using that data to pull that back into, uh, pull that back into your DevOps. And so, one is you can there, and there's and then it's the other way as well, so that you can push data from your testing and your QA data up into your AI solution, so that it can be leveraged and used in production. Um, and so I, I think of that as, you know, several software companies I have kind of been involved with scale. You talked about security, but scale is another big issue. So you have tests being load tests being run in the lab that certain transactions per minute or second or whatever. And it worked great in the lab. Now you get into the real world, it's interacting with so many different things, so many different customers, spikes and integrations and API calls, and and it breaks. And what do you need to know in operations? Well, what did we test it for back in the lab, right? Or back in test. And you and you want to be able to go back and look at that. And what he's proposing really is that AI ops data or that data from your test from all those different environments mapped to the same entity the same microservice or the same part of your your infrastructure you should be able to go back and see that automatically and say oh look at five you know 500 transactions and supported and now we're spiking to ten thousand, and that's why it broke and we got to go fix that and so i think breaking down those barriers between devops and testing and then how it works in operation the same data should be available regardless of what the environment is and it should be mapped to the same entities that are being kind of promoted through those environments, um, and I thought that was pretty fascinating to kind of, you know, he articulated a lot of some of the thoughts that we had as far as how it, it, the data can be used in both ways.
0: Yeah, th- very interesting. I think one of the things you brought up there is is uh, scale, right? And, yeah. um, you know, back you know some years ago, I did a lot of work with Yahoo. And, uh, you know, they had 400,000 servers at the time, you know, it scattered around the country, the world, I mean, to operate at scale at that, I mean, and, you know, you're seeing now, I just, I started seeing some statistics the other day, I kind of came across something about big data statistics, because we keep talking about this, this, what, you know, AI ops is about processing mass amounts of data. and you know, but we, we've we never really kind of quantified it. We just say, you know, it's becoming, and I read this all the time in articles and it's kind of the, the primary drivers that humans can't, you know, process the amount of data anymore. And that's true, but no one ever really kind of puts it in context of what that means. Mm-hmm. So this big data um, statistics is, you know, uh, Google gets 3.5 billion searches a day, you know, facebook alone right facebook alone has something like uh, 2.8 billion active users per month so you think about the amount of posts that are going up there the the photos that are going up there and what what they're doing in processing of photos and and tagging and cross-linking and the algorithms for connecting people it's um yeah this is what we're talking about it, it, another interesting t- statistic. Every person in the world generates 1.7 megabits of data per second. Um, yeah. I don't know exactly what that is, <laughs> as far as <laughs> um, that that amount. You know, it's kind of like you know, every person drinks or eats this amount of sugar per day. But um, you think about it, wow. you know, 1.7 megabits um, per second per day is pretty crazy. Um, it uh, means we're being watched, right? Yeah. And, and, and another big statistic that I was kind of was, uh, and this is a source from CIO is, you know, 80 to 90% of all the data is, is unstructured, right? And, and 95% of companies, IT leaders are saying that, you know, unstructured data is one of the biggest problems that they have. So what you're seeing is massive amounts of data being collected and most of it's unstructured. Um, so the you know, AI ops really starts with a data problem. And, and it was interesting about that from that article mm-hmm. of, of the scalability aspect of it. So, which kind of leads on to the article that I, I I kind of pulled up this week. And this is um, uh, AI ops is an essential DevOps tool chain component by Heaven uh, Helen Beal, who I believe is with uh, Micromuse, uh, not, no, not Micromuse, uh, Mooksoft. <laughs> she's a
1: advisor to Mooksoft. So a lot of, she's written a few articles, which are very interesting. She's, she's she obviously has some great experience, but it, she's advising them, so a lot of them have a bent towards um, Mooksoff's uh, point of view.
0: Yeah, certainly. So we take you know we take some of these things we take with a grain of salt, right? Because they're really marketing. But this one was kind of interesting because she was again talking about the data, the, the data problem, right, and the big data problem of DevOps of AIOps and how that feeds into into DevOps and um, and she the statistic here that I thought was kind of interesting I haven't validated is. 90 percent of the world's data has been generated in the last two years uh, and 80 80 percent of the business is unstructured so we just talked about that so you know one thing that i i really you know kind of point that i liked about this article that she made was she she comes from a devops background and mm-hmm. she she made the statement i have long incorporated planning service desk and monitoring into my devops toolchain architectures uh, too often teams focus only on CI/CD elements without considering the end-to-end value cycle. And I think that's a really good um, point to always kind of keep in mind. And we've talked about this in, the, in previous episodes, that AI, um, AI is just proliferating through all different functions of the operational environment, not just event handling. Mm-hmm. And it's not just kind of the DevOps tool chain. It's how all these pieces start working together whether it's a um service desk application that's generating data and you can bring using ai to bring context of that to the performance observability data in the devops tool chain to then feed back into you know the build and the testing and the release side of the things so um you know i think yeah, to to go ahead
1: yeah yeah i was gonna say i, I read the article as well and um you know, there was two things I kind of took from it. One I'll quote, I think you quote it and just quoted her. I thought she wrote something pretty well. So I'll just read what she wrote, which was AI ops provides essential feedback on the customer experience that must be applied to the next iteration of improvements for the organization. It's not just a way to fix problems faster. It's the basis. And when she says it's it's the AI ops is the basis for data driven conversations, decisions, and experimental empirical experimentation. So, I think very much the same, same thing that the Dynatrace folks were saying that you know it's the same thing she's saying is that you're really you're not getting the customer experience when you're running your tests and doing your releases in the staging and all these other pre pre production environments. It's really you're thinking in the production you're getting the actual customers' impact on your IT impact on your applications and you're getting their experience if you're measuring even it's synthetic transactions or actual response times you're getting on your, on the, you know, the web or the internal APIs, that's critical to bring back into the DevOps tool chain and, and inform that tool chain so that they can write better tests. They can produce better tests. Um, so that, so that was one thing. And it's very much in line with what we said. The thing she said that we haven't really talked about is, is just the importance of collaboration and that chat ops is what we see. We're seeing more and other ops, um, uh, that we're seeing better more around just better collaboration instead of it just being in a ticket where you submit the update to the ticket or you're emailing or you're on conference bridges, but chat rooms like the you know, teams or Google meets or um, Slack is, is, is presenting, or just some of the ticketing software provides chat chat ops. Now it's really a better way to to collaborate, but you're not just putting humans entering that information, but, the information that's coming out of your AI ops is all being made available in this sort of chat room uh, environment. That's not just, you know, one dimensional, just information being posted, but just a three kind of two dimensional set of information that you kind of have in your chat room. Um, And then she's, she's emphasizing how important that is, especially in the DevOps kind of release cycle, but then also in production and then cycling all the way back. Um, So I don't know if you had any thoughts or experience or, you know, around chat ops, or does you know how that might fit in in this in, in an environment like this?
0: Yeah, it was interesting. That, I mean, just kind of diverging off of it, uh, DevOps for a second to talk about chat ops. Um, the what I've seen with chat ops is that there's been a number of AI ops platforms that have embedded chat ops into their platform and made it part of their um, isolation uh, and collaboration. Uh, inv- um, capabilities, right? And mm-hmm. what we have found with our clients is that a lot of the clients don't want to use that; they want to use their existing chat platforms like Slack, mostly, yeah. and or Teams or something like that, and they want to integrate into there. So, I think it's uh, I think it was good that the some of these vendors early on came out with these chat ops capabilities, but they're um, they're going to be forced into taking their platforms and integrating them into uh, Teams and and Slack to um, replicate and enhance the capabilities of those chatting platforms with all the AI and isolation techniques and things like that, Mm -hmm. which makes it a little bit harder, right? Because you're you're kind of at the mercy. So being able to, you know, I know some of these platforms, they can dynamically create isolation environments or isolation rooms, right? that effectively um, bring people in and out of those rooms based on the event and provide information where now they may have to actually build dynamic channels inside of another platform like slack in order to do that Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where that goes but um yeah i think uh I, i think that's a that's another component right it's just like we talked about it the other day or last week about pager duty, you know, what pager duty is doing in the AI world. So all these are to, to me are just smaller, uh, functional areas inside the operations domain that are going to have AI apply to it. Yep, exactly. So good. Yep. Um, well that was fun. So, uh, we'll, we'll move <laughs> on fun. to another topic next week. And, um, so uh, I, I want to thank everybody for tuning in this week. So, Bill, on that note, I will uh, I will let you go, and uh, yep. we will catch up next week. I hope you have um, hope you have a great weekend.